Hello everyone, I'm Gary Urbanowitz, the Executive Director of the New York City Fire Museum and your host for this Throwback FDNY podcast. The New York City Fire Museum is proud to be the official museum of the FDNY. We preserve, educate, and celebrate the history of the fire department in New York City, all from the former quarters of Engine Company 30 on Spring Street in Manhattan. The New York City Fire Museum is really a special place to visit and explore. Like our museum, this podcast mission is to help present the extraordinary history and unique heritage of the fire department in the five boroughs. Each episode, will turn a spotlight on three specific years and share a story from each that we hope brings the fire department's past to life. I also encourage you to go to nycfiremuseum.org and sign up for our companion Throwback FDNY newsletter. Each edition of our newsletter will provide pictures, additional facts, suggested readings, and interesting items for our museum's collection. It's definitely a must for FDNY history buffs of all ages. So without further ado, welcome to our inaugural Throwback FDNY podcast episode. Dare I say, an historic moment. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, New Amsterdam's 1648 Bucket Ordinance, Chief John Kenlin's foresight after the Equitable Building Fire of 1912, and the lasting legacy of the 1994 Watts Street Fire. Think back to what New York, particularly the island of Manhattan, must have looked like before the Dutch established a settlement on its southern tip. If you wandered about, you would see it was very wooded with rivers, lakes, and abundant wildlife. Some of the first permanent dwellings were built by the stranded crew of the Dutch ship Tiger, which, by the way, stranded them when it caught fire. That's right, the city of New York's foundation began with a fire. What were the houses built of? Wood, from the merry trees on the island. For years, wood was the primary building material with perhaps a few stones thrown in. These combustible structures with fireplaces for cooking and heat presented a heavy fire load. When fires did occur, and they often did, the natural tool to fight them were buckets of water from the surrounding rivers. As the colony grew, the governor at the time, a man named Peter Stuyvesant, passed what is now recognized as the first fire ordinances in what would become New York City and eventually the FDNY's life-saving Bureau of Fire Prevention. Governor Stuyvesant's 1648 decree established several things, including the town's strict bucket policy. Each structure had to be outfitted with buckets to be used in the extinguishment of any fires that might occur. There are a few interesting trivia points to the history of buckets and bucket brigades. First, buckets were made of leather by local shoemakers. The number of buckets required for each property were based, for residents, on the number of chimneys, and for commercial structures, by the types of businesses they were in. For example, if a home had less than three fireplaces, it needed only one bucket. More than three, needed two. Bakers needed three buckets, and brewers needed six. Buckets were used in the well-known bucket brigades. The brigades were made of two lines, one to pass the full buckets from the water source to the fire, and one to return the empty buckets to the water source to be refilled. The full line was taken up by men, the empty line by women. As household furnishings and to identify the owners for return after a fire, the early leather buckets were often decorated, some very elaborately, some with just a name or number. The New York City Fire Museum has a substantial number of early leather buckets in its collection with a cabinet full on display. I'll include some of my personal favorites in the newsletter. Although a rarity, you still might see a functional fire bucket here or there around the city. Now they are metal and contain sand rather than water. Modern day buckets should have round bottoms to discourage their use for anything but its intended purpose. And here's one for firefighters out there. 
Years after the 1648 bucket policy became the law of the land, the capacity of fire buckets was standardized to 2.5 gallons. What does that make you think of? That's right, the pressurized water fire extinguishers utilized by the men and women of the FDNY and used around the world today. And now a quick message from the president of the New York City Fire Museum's Board of Trustees. Hello, everyone. I'm Ted Grant, the president of the New York City Fire Museum Board of Trustees. On behalf of the board, we thank you for listening to the Throwback FDNY podcast. Since 1870, our museum has sought to preserve, educate, and celebrate the heroic history of the men and women of the fire department in New York. In 1987, we found a permanent home in Lower Manhattan in the renovated 1904 Beaux Arts Firehouse that had served as the quarters of Engine 30. Inside, our impressive collection illustrates the evolution of the fire department from its origins through today. Our Fire Safety Learning Center is a hub for school children to learn about the importance of fire prevention. Our museum is also home to the first permanent memorial to the New York City Fire Department members lost on September 11, 2001. We hope that everyone who has come to visit the FDNY 343 Memorial since 2002 has been provided a place to reflect on the fire department's darkest day while coming face to face with our fallen heroes. Please stay up to date with us and learn more about our exhibitions, online catalog, and browse our museum shop online at nycfiremuseum.org. Again, thank you for listening. And now back to the episode. In 1912, a brutally cold night was the scene of heroic rescue operations at what was one of the city's most prestigious office buildings. On January 9th, the wind was howling and sustained at 40 miles per hour, with gusts reaching nearly 70 miles per hour in the concrete caverns of Lower Manhattan. Snow was falling. It was a veritable blizzard. Around 5 a.m. that morning, a match was carelessly thrown into a trash can inside 120 Broadway. Within minutes, almost the entire Equitable Life Assurance building was on fire. Inside, two people looking to retrieve important documents stored in the building's safe descended into the basement and were trapped there. As the fire raged, attempts were made to free them by cutting through the iron bars covering the street-level windows. The rescue attempt was Herculean, and at the time, out of the typical scope of tasks performed by those in the fire service. But fortunately, an FDNY firefighter operating that day, Seneca Lark of Engine Company 20, happened to be a former iron worker and was able to utilize his skills to create an opening large enough to bring the trapped basement occupants to safety. In the end, six people, including Battalion Chief William Walsh, perished in the fire. Firefighter Charles S. Bass of Engine Company 79 died 11 months later from the injuries he sustained at the Equitable Building. The chief in charge of the incident, John Kenlin, was a seasoned firefighter and would eventually become chief of department. He knew that what he witnessed at the Equitable Building was going to be a more regular occurrence as New York City's ever-growing buildings presented new challenges to the FDNY. Chief Kenlin realized that the department couldn't simply rely on luck to come up with the right person, skill set, and equipment to perform life-saving tasks. He set out to research what the country's largest fire department should do to improve its capabilities to better protect life and property in New York. After several years of study at home and abroad, the FDNY formed Rescue Company 1 in 1915. 
equipped with specialized gear not carried by other companies, Rescue One and its specially trained firefighters were now ready to fight fires and undertake complicated and technical rescues. Among all the equipment the new unit carried, perhaps one made the real difference between life or death for both firefighters and civilians, the Draeger smoke helmet. This helmet made it possible for Rescue One firefighters to operate in hazardous environments, whether from smoke or gas, and carry out operations. Invented at the turn of the 20th century by the German firm Draeger and Gerling, it was being used primarily for mining rescue operations before finding its way into the FDNY. The New York City Fire Museum's collection has several components of the original Draeger and other breathing apparatus used by the FDNY over the years. And just an aside, there's one common mistake that some people make about a firefighter's self-contained breathing apparatus, or SCBA. They often refer to the equipment on the backs of men and women in the fire service as oxygen tanks. If they were indeed full of oxygen, they'd be extremely dangerous to bring into a fire. Actually, they're filled with compressed air. We'll be right back to the episode, but first. The New York City Fire Museum store can be found online at fdnymuseumshop.org. Exclusive merchandise includes our classic, superior quality NYC Fire Museum t-shirt featuring our treasured Brooklyn Engine Company 8 steam pumper and other museum artifacts. The back includes a firefighter scramble that was the museum's original logo. This one-of-a-kind shirt comes in adult sizes from small to double XL. Proceeds help support our preservation and educational programs. To browse additional apparel and products that celebrate the history of the fire department in New York City, go to fdnymuseumshop.org. That's fdnymuseumshop.org. Now more than ever, the New York City Fire Museum needs your support to pursue our mission to preserve, educate, and celebrate. Now, back to the episode. And finally, we end this episode with a fire that occurred in 1994 at 62 Watt Street in Manhattan, less than one quarter mile from the New York City Fire Museum. On March 28th, the resident of the first floor apartment left a plastic garbage bag near the stove so her dog would not get into it. Before long, the bag caught fire, which spread throughout the apartment. When FDNY units arrived, the fire had made significant progress. Eventually, as members gained access to the first floor apartment, the flames roared out and up the narrow staircase where, on the second floor, were Captain John Drennan, firefighters Chris Seidenberg, and James Young, all from Engine Company 24. The three died from injuries they sustained. From every firefighter fatality, lessons are learned. At the time of the Watt Street Fire, the FDNY was evaluating improved protective gear. For many years before then, protective equipment was called turnout gear and consisted of pull-up thigh-length boots, rubber or canvas coat, gloves, and a leather helmet. The equipment being evaluated was called bunker gear and was far more encapsulating with a shorter jacket, full-length pants, shorter boots, and a head-covering hood worn under the helmet. This equipment was purchased as a direct result of the Watt Street Fire and was first issued to FDNY members the following year. The results were significant and immediate. In 1994, 1,536 burn injuries were sustained by FDNY firefighters. After the issuance of the new bunker gear, that number fell to 651, a 60% drop. 
The New York City Fire Museum is proud to display a portrait of Captain Drennan and firefighters Seidenberg and Young. Their sacrifice will never be forgotten. To this day, personal protective equipment remains a critical topic of training and a major focus for the department's safety command. The department, with the help from the FDNY Foundation and the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, recently released a webcast for Safety Week 2020 that highlighted the PPE ensemble worn by fire and EMS members. You can learn more about that at fdnypro.org. Thank you for listening. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you with the help from the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official nonprofit organization of the department. Thank you to the New York City Fire Museum Board of Trustees, President Ted Grant, the entire board, our staff, volunteers, and of course, our museum members. And again, don't forget to sign up for our new newsletter at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this. We can all do our part to be a partner to the fire department by promoting fire safety. It starts in each of our homes by ensuring we all have a working smoke and carbon monoxide alarm. Thank you and be safe.